Good morning. Uh, we'll be starting a new class today on Philippians. And we're still using the Christ-centered exposition books as our kind of meat and structure for the classes, the information. So if you want to get this, feel free to do it. I got these on Amazon. They're always under like 15 or so dollars. This one's authored by Tony Morita and Francis Chan. This one's kind of fun. I like Francis. Um, and the editors of all these books are David Platt, Daniel Aiken, and Tony Morita. They're good. But anyway, so we're going to start at Philippians today. Who wants to pray for us? Sean. <laughs> Sean. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for this church and these um, Amen. Thanks for being here. Uh, today is kind of an introduction to Philippians. Um, we'll be looking at Philippians 1, 1 through 2, and Acts, uh, spending a lot of time in Acts 16, 6 through 40, seeing how this church was started. Um, the main kind of topic or title of today is Partnership and Church Planting in Philippi. Partnership and Church Planting in Philippi. The main idea being after they planted the church in Philippi, Paul writes to the Philippians, exhorting them to advance the gospel with joy. So the gospel with joy, right? In the face of opposition. There I've just got some red stripes to resemble opposition. So we want the gospel with joy in facing opposition. Uh, so go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians 1 chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 1, sorry. If you're not there already, we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. And later on, be ready to turn to Acts 16. But Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2, let's pay attention to God's word. I'm reading the SV, English Standard Version. Philippians 1, 1 through 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're looking at is we're looking at a thank you letter. At first, that's kind of what it's like. It's a thank you letter that Paul wrote from prison to the church in Philippi. So there was a guy named Epaphroditus who brought a gift on behalf of the Philippian church to Paul. And Paul wrote back to them, thanking them for their support and for their partnership. Uh, Paul deeply loves the church of Philippi. And you're going to find that out as we go through the letter. And in the letter to the Philippians, Paul goes beyond just saying thank you for the support from Epaphroditus and from them. And he encourages the Philippian believers to persevere together with joy in spite of opposition. Kind of this picture here. Um, 
Paul exhorts the Christians then and now to advance the gospel bravely as fellow servants of the true king, as we learned all about in the Sermon on the Mount, in the face of terrifying opponents. So it's very important that we don't miss this theme. Um, Philippians is not just the epistle of joy. That's a great summary for it. It's about fearlessly advancing the gospel with joy. I I feel like all of us are starting to feel right now, oh, this is something I need to be doing in my community right now. Exactly. (laughs) It's fearlessly advancing the gospel with joy, working together in hardship. Um, And Paul's overarching concern in Philippians is the gospel, not particularly joy. It's the gospel and the joy that comes out of the gospel. Um, He writes about the glorious nature of the gospel that believers must defend and must declare. And he writes about the sovereignty of God and salvation, the person and the work of Christ, the imputed righteousness of Jesus received by faith, sanctification, and our citizenship in heaven. He writes about a lot of things. He also touches on the doctrines relating to the kingdom, which should be pretty near to us after the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He talks about unity, which is so good for us. Um, during this period in our church, in generosity and more. He does all of this from the year 62 AD in four chapters with 104 verses and the living word of God and a letter to the Philippians. So firstly, just want to talk about the relevance of Philippians, like why this book. Um, to be honest, when me and Davey were first talking about what the next book should be, we were dealing with the aftermath of the election, dealing with a lot of argumentation going on, and I think we're still facing that now. I just felt like it'd be a good thing to kind of like, (laughs) maybe after, I mean, there's a lot of joy in the Sermon on the Mount, but after coming off the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you could feel, if you're too hard on yourself, which a lot, I mean, I am too, you could start to feel like that's a lot of stuff that I'm not doing (laughs) perfectly. But it is, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is super uplifting in seeing how Christ really is our king and we really can follow him and all these things that he tells us to do, we are capable of doing because of him. But it can feel kind of draining. And on top of that, with just the situation in our country, we thought it'd be good to input some joy (laughs) into this church. Uh, So why Philippians? How can this book help us here at Center Baptist? Let's answer those questions. Let's think about some other questions, okay? So, to everybody, is it easy to be a Christian in today's world? What do you think? No. 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 Nice. Why not? Mountains of sin. <laughs> oh, sin. Okay. We have our own sin oppressing us. What else? Why is it so hard? Oh, okay. Kind of like a target on the back? Yeah, well, yeah, I could begin with. Mm-hmm. See, I mean, the Bible speaks um, clearly of the LGBT. Right. It's like, no, you're just not tolerant at all. Right. You need to tolerate this. You're not tolerant. You're scared. Yeah. You don't want to progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, the, perfect, uh, the perfect strategy. Just make us look the exact opposite of what we actually are extremely tolerant, <laughs> like tolerant to the point of Christ, forgiving those who would trespass against us like Christ. 
um, wanting the progress of the kingdom of God, which will save souls. <laughs> it's the opposite. But yeah, he spends all of his time working on it. Might as well be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, another way of looking at it, maybe a little bit the opposite, is uh, one of the uh, things I always find, uh, what word I want to use, I use the word envy, but that's not the right word, but uh, growing up, it was so easy to call yourself a Christian, hmm. that people that weren't really Christians weren't. You know, and I was envious of the places like, I'll, just, I'll say China. Or North Korea, or if you said you were a Christian, there was a price to pay. So you didn't willy-nilly do it. And so in that sense, it's, it's making it a little bit easier. Because hmm. somebody, they all, oh, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, you know. Yeah. Well, they don't willy-nilly say that anymore. It's, right. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's easier to, to go, okay, you know, so if you're willing to share the gospel or something with someone, it's it's a little easier in the sense that hey that that means something to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing that. If that makes sense. I think I know what you mean, and I, I think it's easier and it's harder. So right. I think definitely easier. But now you have to break through all of these misconstrued notions of what being a Christian is. You have to invade somebody who's been calling themselves a Christian for maybe fifty years and be like, I don't think you understand the basics of the Word of God though from the way that you're talking. And that's, I mean, that's, that's terrifying <laughs> to be like, let me just discount what you've been doing for 50 years and uh, point you to the word of God. It's like Joe Biden, which I was kind of proud of the quote come out and said, you know, the safety of marriage is between a man and a woman. Yeah. And Biden claims to be a Catholic, says, well, I don't agree with the, with the Pope. And it's like, yeah. well, I don't really care you don't agree with you know, I don't agree with the Pope, but the, the <laughs> idea is, you know, that's what Scripture teaches. I'm sorry that you disagree with that. Yeah. Sense, right? Yeah. 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 It's funny when they're pressed too. It's like, so are you saying Scripture is like, I'm not going to get into that argument. It's like, just answer the question. Uh, so the reality, uh, like Christ said on the Sermon on the Mount, is at the end of that beatitude, if it's like a progression, is that we will be persecuted if we follow Jesus. Um, of course, in America easier a kind of easier persecution but in ways too maybe maybe a little harder as well yeah, it's got its own challenges um uh, and he talks about in the sermon on the mount he told us that it's an honor it's an honor to be persecuted it's like almost something to to aspire to um not that you should like you know as we talked about not that you should go out looking for it, but that you should be bold, so bold as to be like, it could happen in any moment, <laughs> because I'm saying some pretty intense stuff. Um, I was just reading something about uh, a friend offers you a free lottery. It's yours. Hmm. You win. You win millions of dollars. Okay. And then someone's like, well, I'm too busy. It's free. <laughs> I'm giving it to you. Yeah. I don't need it anymore. I've got my own. You can have it. If you win, it's yours. I won't even come and see you. And hmm. I related that back to uh, Pascal Winter hmm. about, you know, hey, heaven's there. And if you're wrong, you don't lose anything. If you're right. Oh, you're that's right. Pascal's wager? Okay. Right. That's cool. Like, I only know about his vacuum or whatever. Oh. Like every man is a God-shaped vacuum. Right. Oh, so he's like, yeah, he's like, what is what is there to lose? What, is, what do you yeah. lose? 
Yeah. Yeah. And say, I mean, Satan's pulling that on us now. I, I mean, the even if we go back to what you're talking about the LGBT community, I mean, I wish all uh, we all wish the most love for them that they would come to know Christ, that their lives would be changed. But the percentage of that compared to the population of the world is so small, and like their narrative has become basically the main narrative of most of me, you know, it's like, that's what it's like though. He's like, if Pascal's like, what is there to lose? He's like, well, you could lose this community. It's like, but that community is so small. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's big. Have you been watching the news? <laughs> it's very big. It's like, but it's not. Um, you can start to, people all trying to bring you down, try to confuse you. Um, another question, is it easy to find true joy in the world? Yeah, is it easy to find? A lot of people are trying. I think people are figuring it out. I think some of these super rich people got it figured out. No? <laughs> the lottery the lottery winners, they got it figured out. <laughs> hmm? I think we need to find what we mean by joy. Yeah, what do you think about true joy? What is that? Well, in my opinion, that's satisfactory, you know, just contentment. Yeah. Whatever state yes. you're in. And uh, <clears throat> I don't think that... Uh, I think that that outside of Christ, it's pretty hard to land on. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, especially you talking about Hollywood, the rich, and that kind of stuff. They think they got true contentment in that, and then mm-hmm. if it's so content, how come you're doing drugs and right. and all that kind of stuff? The fruit of their lives is very. How many marriages, you know, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but I think, yeah, just as we move forward, I hope we could all separate. When we look at this, we usually think of happiness. Um, and that's a big thing that's promoted in our country, the pursuit of happiness. And as we move forward, we just need to separate that very small thing called happiness from something far, far bigger <laughs> called joy in Christ immensely infinitely bigger um and i think you can they can go interchange you just gotta like us like you just gotta be sure we are defining the definitions but the bible tends to say joy in christ and when you say that you know what they're talking about um you know they're talking about this deep um overwhelming contentment in christ even when i'm not happy so that's the separation if happiness is transient joy in christ is absolutely not um, and that's one of the, I mean, that's why this book is so helpful too. I don't know how many Christians I've met who are like straight up making claims like, I am not joyful. God is being hard on me and I can't deal with it. And I'm like, that freaks me out because the joy that I understand in the Bible does not leave. So how can we talk about maybe how you're misunderstanding joy and maybe get closer to that? So that's why looking at this book is good as well. Um, he goes on in the book to say, like, do you think Paul will teach us about joy in this book through our spouses or through our children or through our bank accounts or through our legacies or through our reputations? I think we could all agree, like you just said, it's through Christ, not through those things. Um, being able to, I know it's probably one of the hardest things in the world. Um, I love it in Francis Chan's, which happens to be the writer of this book. His sermon, uh, Lukewarm and Loving It, has anybody seen that? <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. Mm. Yes. Uh, there's a point in his sermon, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but there's a point in his sermon where he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's like, oh, the kingdom of God is so great. I sold everything and sold so I could buy that field. And it's like, what about, oh, but what about my job? It's just a job. 
You know, this is everything to me. And he's like, well, what about my family? It's just a family. This is everything. And that is not the American way whatsoever. Um, it is not the American way to be like, this is too important to me. I will lose my family if I have to for this. I will not let them dictate what I believe about Jesus for blood. It's not going to happen. Um, again, that is the, the deep, deep joy that we have in Christ that can't be broken, even by our own family. Um, and I think we would all agree we're all looking for deep, encouraging Christian friendships as well, especially in this church, right? We need that, right? It's not like, yeah, that's nice, but, you know, if God provides it, I'll take it. Or is it like we need to be pursuing constantly deep Christian friendships of really of sisterhood and brotherhood and, yeah, in this church? Mm -hmm. I think there's an agreement on these faces that are like, it's the morning. Stop asking us questions. Um, Oh, yeah. Being there. You're uplifted. You're encouraged. And it's just a whole better day. Oh, yeah. God Better week. Uses the fellowship of the saints mm-hmm. to encourage you. Yeah. The church is for, for you. God, it isn't God has to have a church. He provided the church for you to, mm-hmm. to let you get that encouragement mm-hmm. and get that strength every week that you need. It's a battle. Yeah, I agree with that. I also agree he does do it for himself. Uh, like we saw in the walk in the light, have fellowship with him, have fellowship with righteousness, have fellowship with each other. It's all kind of this compact, amazing love thing <laughs> going on uh, with God. He wants, he, he, he is required to be worshiped by somebody. So at the very least, we need to come together and be singing to him. Um, that's helpful on the mornings where you're like, I'm tired, I don't want to go. It's like, well, at the very least, you need to show up and sing, or at least read the words, because he's like, he deserves to be worshipped far more than he is. So please fulfill your responsibility <laughs> lovingly. Uh, so this letter, it's, an, it's a marvelous application for building and sustaining true community. So it's really good for us. So I just want you to get excited about that. Um, as we go through it, it's super short, just like the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to read it through it a couple times. I know in my preaching class I just took, they had me read through my little section like 15 times. You know, and as you read through it, you write a new question over and over and over till the point you keep asking questions. That's a good way to get through this text is to keep reading it and keep writing more questions. Read it, write a question for each chapter, read it again, write a question maybe until you have 25, 40 of them. That's a great way to study this. Um, so I encourage you to do that at your own time, but we'll be covering it here as well. But you'll obviously be more fulfilled if you do a deep study too. But I understand a lot of Bible reading going on right now. Um, And if you find difficulty with this, I know I personally find difficulty with epistles. It just feels to me like a lot of facts in a row. (laughs) It's like, whoa, that's a lot of really good stuff. What do I do with it? Um, Just remember in this very book, in the very book of Philippians, um, uh, well, in Acts 16, uh, Lydia got opened her heart to understand the scriptures. Just remember to submit yourself to that reality that God will open your heart to understand this book. If you put in the time and the commitment, he will do that for you. So um, let's look at the 
a few things. Let's look at the backstory of Philippians. So if you turn to Acts 16. Acts 16, please. Um, let's look at the backstory. Let's look at the big picture of the book. And then we'll look at the first two verses of Philippians. We'll come back and look at this beautiful greeting. So the backstory. Acts 16, we'll start in verse 6. Acts 16. Uh, somebody please read verses 6 through 10. 6 through 10. The Macedonian call. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian regions. After being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Pastor. And when they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with them and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to have to leave for Macedonia, including, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Boom. So this is how we see how God got him to go with his team there. So some backstory. Philippi, it was modeled on its mother city. What's, do you know Philippi's mother city, what that would be? Just wondering. Okay. So its mother city is the city of Rome. Okay. And it was laid out in similar patterns as Rome. Um, the style and the architecture were copied extensively. It looked a lot like Rome. And even the coins that they produced in the city, they bore Roman inscriptions. This is a very Roman city. And the Latin language was used, and its citizens wore Roman dress, not this, of course. Uh, Philippi, it wasn't the capital in its province, but it's important for us to understand. It was a leading city. And it was an important stop on the Roman road. Um, people knew this city. And it, it, it's in this important city that Paul planted the first church on European soil. So that's the significance here. Paul, God, is, God in a strategy is directing Paul. And I love this strategy here. It's like, uh, we're forbidden to go to Asia. Okay, we won't do that. <laughs> they attempted to go into Bithynia. Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them that, okay? And then they end up over here uh, planting a church in the, f the first church on European soil. And again, uh, uh, this is his second missionary journey. So Paul's second missionary journey, they try to go here, they try to go there. God directs them specifically to this area in Macedonia through this vision um, that uh, we've seen many times in the Bible, God's use of... Uh, what is this? <laughs> um, and uh, he ends up going there, and he's successful. Uh, just to say, though, so looking at that passage, this is Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Okay, this is the team. This, these are the guys. Um, how does it say here in this passage that Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke were going to start the church in Philippi? How does it say that in the passage? He was what? Well, he's following through with the vision of going there. Following through, okay. What was their plan for starting the church? 
preached the gospel, verse 10. And Paul had seen the vision immediately. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. This is just an assumption for them, um, which is how it should be for us. At, I mean, at our mission fields. That's really what they are. It's, that's not a metaphor. It's our mission fields. It's our job. It's the grocery store. You know, it's whatever brings you in contact with the lost. Like, it is just assumed, like, oh, he wants us to go here. This is obviously where we go preach the gospel, obviously. So <laughs> that's how they were going to do it, the gospel. Um, not any, uh, certainly not any uh, prosperity gospel. Just the gospel of Christ. It's going to work. Don't worry about it. Uh, verse 10, it's preaching the gospel. That was the pattern of growing the early church. Just remember that. That's how we got here. We got here because people preached the gospel and people listened and then churches began. Is your hand raised or are you just going like no, this? Do you want to arm wrestle, Jeff? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Just in the historical perspective, and hmm. you know, I, to me, Omaha relates a lot to Philippi. Oh, okay. Because cool. Philippi was a major region when Roman soldiers retired, and they did retire in the Roman people that served the Roman uh, legions. This was the big retirement area, and Omaha is a big retirement area. Right. And you know what a city to pick that God put that first church, and there's all these retired Roman soldiers hmm. that live in this area. Yeah. And to me, that's just, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. Uh, it's, it's certainly an amazing thing. I don't know. It's really amazing to me anytime I hear stories about God invading an older person's life. Um, I just feel so humbled to older people. I feel like they understand life far better than I do. And they've had so many experiences. But sometimes, sometimes that's what makes them so ready, is they're like, I've seen a lot of stuff, and none of this makes any sense. Um, but the way that it's done is always the same. It's the gospel. Um, so sometimes for a lot of retired, it would be maybe the 15th time they heard it. Yeah. But that's the time that they, you know, <laughs> the door opened. And that's the narrative that God wants us to see in our lives and here. He wants us to see if we share the gospel, it brings him much joy. And eventually he may open their heart and this beautiful thing will occur. Um, that's, that's how he wants to be worshipped. That's how he wants to be remembered. That's how God wants to be seen. As his people, telling people the gospel, having so much faith in that gospel that they would come to know it and that their hearts would be opened by him. So, like, the system that we see is plant the gospel and you plant the church. If I put the truth here, people will come, the church will begin. And that's what we're doing here as well. Uh, teach the lost about Christ and they will become like him because it's, it's too good. Uh, God was working out his plan to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, like he told us to do in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. That's what he's doing here. He's doing it with us still to this day. And he's using ordinary guys inside of his providence and spirit's leadership. I know that we might look at these guys as like, oh, Timothy Parle. But no, they're ordinary just like us. A tent maker. Um, 
Have you ever had, so I really like this stuff about how God kept them from going here, God kept them from going there. Um, have you ever had God direct your life by shutting doors as opposed to opening them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Any examples? I got fired from a job I had for 37 and a half years. <laughs> Goodness laughing? gracious. No, I'm laughing because it hurts. <laughs> Sorry, I, I laugh at the difficulties of the world. I'm like, Phew, that's terrible. <laughs> Funny aside is now I'm going through some desert stuff in this job. Oh, okay. So God's doing something there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So he brought you more joy by shutting a door somewhere else, yeah. you'd say? Yeah. yeah. That's great. Have, how about also with joy in the gospel? Have you had doors shut that actually brought you somewhere else? And you're like, I don't know about this. And you're like, oh. It's he got me here to progress in the kingdom. Actually, not so much what I was wanting to do. Well, I know in our lives, uh, Pat and I, we've uh, Pat went down in our boots after thirty-seven, and I was still in the navy. Which Bless you. Yeah. Uh, the Lord was just teaching us so much and moving us around in so many places, and I feel. The Lord, my help is what the Lord has used tremendously. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I had I had a heart attack in 2001. I had a triple bypass in 2008. 2010, I had stage three colon cancer. Uh, I had cataract surgery. You see the top of my head, that's melanoma. Uh, my ear was from basal cancer. And all of it has been a blessing for me. Because after I've experienced this, I've met people that are just now going through it. Oh, okay. What? Yeah. Yeah. I I know what they're going through, and I can share that with them. Uh, Chemotherapy. I had that six months of chemotherapy after the uh, colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And it was horrible, but it was a blessing in the same thing because I've been able to sit on top of people that are are going through colon cancer and going through uh, chemotherapy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, God just works miracles. It's not the way you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And you didn't expect it to be that. But that's one of the big things for me. And you just never know how God's going to use you. And that the key yeah. is you got to be open. Definitely. I know for myself, I, I wanted to be a rock star. Um, <laughs> and what's funny is all the labels that we we're trying to get on back then, they're all dead now because so cyclical. <laughs> but. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to make songs that were like, this is a Christian song, but you don't even know it. And you're gonna get saved and you don't even know it. And like, he, he shut that door. He shut that door in me. He was like, you're not gonna do that. You're gonna go out and you're gonna do drugs and have sex. That's what you're gonna do. Like, if you really get this opportunity, that's, that's what you're gonna do. That's where your headspace is right now. And so I just walked away from it. Um, as if it was going to happen. But I, I did. I walked away from pursuing it. And then I started going to church and I'm like, I wasn't even close to understanding what this says. I could have sent out so much false teaching. And what's weird is years later, around the time I met Kayla, there were a lot of bands that were kind of doing that. They didn't really understand what the Bible said, but they were saying it in their songs. And they're pushing out all this kind of have-truths 
while putting Jesus's name in there. And weirdly enough, people who are interested in Jesus are listening to these bands. They're like, they have so much interesting stuff to say. It's so interesting. You go listen to it. It has nothing to do with the basics of the Bible. Um, so he, I look back, he's like, he avoided me from doing that. He stopped me. And now I'm very thankful <laughs> that I didn't go that direction. And I'm sure we have a lot of situations like that. Um, so, and there's also, there's, so there's a surprising amount of influential missionaries that when they started their process of wanting to go be a missionary, they ended up somewhere completely different than where they wanted to go. And that's a big deal. You know, it's, it's quite a thing to say, like, I was so amped to go here, and then I went here, and then there was a huge explosion of the gospel. That's a, that's, that says quite a bit about our abilities. <laughs> That we're like, I am set to go here. You go here, it's like, this wasn't even close to where I thought. And it's like the greatest thing that could have ever happened. Uh, I think that we're pretty powerless. And we need to do, as this uh, passage we just read, 6 through 10, particularly the, uh, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I mean, what does that look like? You know, does that look like the spirit of Jesus was like, stop, halt, don't. <laughs> Do not do it. No, they're, they're close to Christ. They're listening to him. They're praying with him. He told them not to go, just like he tells us to make very important decisions. They were close with him. This is something that we can do. We can be very close with him and understand what to do next. Uh, verses 11 through 15, the conversion of Lydia. Does somebody want to read that? 11 through 15. Samothrace? <laughs> and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. Hmm. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me, be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Amazing. So, in what way, in this passage, in what way was the gospel shared with Lydia here? What way specifically? Preaching? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. With words. With words. They went down to this riverside. They're a bunch of. They're just like hanging out. Like, let's go find some people who like love God. <laughs> they go down to the riverside, and there's like a women's prayer group. And it, it, what's interesting here, I love this uh, in 14, who was a worshiper of God. So Lydia was a worshiper of God, and yet she hears the gospel, and her heart is opened up to God. It's like she wasn't quite there. <laughs> like she was worshiping him and stuff, and it's cool. Maybe she was more like what we learned about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Oh, I've done so many things in your name. It's like, oh, I never knew you. Maybe that's where she was. And so she hears the gospel. She hears the actual gospel. So that's really helpful, too, because we could see a huge difference between, I believe in God, I believe he created the world, um, he has a son named Christ, whatever, but I believe in God, so I think I'm good. There's a big, big 
infinite difference between that and believing the actual gospel, what Jesus did. Um, He will not allow you to to not care about the fact that he humbled himself down to be a man and go through what he went through. It could, too, be that this is just her first time appearing about Jesus, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, because yeah. this, this is a new thing yeah. this time. So it could have just been the first introduction to Jesus. And because of her relationship with God, yes. she was ready. And it's like Jesus, you know, she she was able to see that Jesus was the answer. Definitely. She's a Roman colony. Is she Roman? What is she? What are we living That's a good question. <laughs> well, she's from Thyatira. I know that. Okay. She's Thyatiran. <laughs> Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. So we could take this with us. Maybe there's a lot of people that we know who they've got a puzzle piece and we just need to insert just a little bit of truth of the gospel. Again, the power of the gospel. They just need a little bit. They might be really close or they just haven't heard yet. Yeah. So maybe for a lot of us, we're just putting pieces where they need to go as we're telling it. Maybe not convincing people via emotion to change their life. Just sharing the truth, and it will change who they are. I was raised in Catholic, and I believe Jesus was the Son of God, but I could care less. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Giving them the key to that personal relationship by the truth. Um, So... We see that there's joy in the gospel that includes a deep joy in the word of God. So there's joy in the words themselves. There's joy in knowing those words, and there's joy in sharing those words. And like you said, she was just incomplete. She just needed a few more words. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Just a few more words to be saved from hell. <laughs> like, consider what you have. You have the words. Share the words and find joy in that. Don't be afraid. Instead, find joy. And like, I have the words that bring you to the reality of eternal life. That's an amazing thing. Um, Let's go to the next section, 16 through 24. Uh, I'll read this one, unless somebody wants to take it really bad. 16 through 24, Paul and Silas in prison. I give you five seconds. He's got it. Cliff's got it. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought our owners much gain by a fortune teller. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly angry, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that her hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had 
when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So in this book here, what they're kind of trying to show you is during the development of this church in Philippi, they go, they talk to these people, and by words, the gospel is shared. And then here, this is a little confusing to get to, but they show here that by a deed of mercy, the gospel is presented here. It's a deed of mercy. Because this girl, this slave girl, she was truly being oppressed. This is real oppression. This is what it looks like. A girl who is demon-possessed, as far as I can tell, and her owners are allowing her to be demon-possessed because it's getting the money. <laughs> this is pretty bad. They're not trying to find any help or anything. And I love how Paul, just out of annoyance, like Paul, I like to believe that he's annoyed. One, he, he is probably thinking about how Paul is. He's probably pushed by her constantly speaking, but at the same time of like, I can't believe that the owners are doing this to this girl. I can't, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. I'm dealing, I'm dealing, well, I can and I will. Um, and then he takes it out of her. But I think it's incredible too how we see like the Sermon on the Mount really taking place here. I save you from your persecution and your oppression and what happens, I am immediately oppressed by my own um, by the very culture that's around me, the very culture that I helped. I'm oppressed by them. And I love how the owners got very upset because they lost their money and they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. How could you do this? How could you stop our oppression? Um, So terrible. But so practicing deeds of mercy, that's another way that the gospel can enter into our community. How can we have joy in practicing deeds of mercy? Because practicing deeds of mercy from a worldly stance, it doesn't necessarily sound like the most joyful thing, but I think we have a different perspective. How can we have joy in practicing deeds of mercy in our community? Why is that joyful? Being sacrificial like Jesus. That's for everybody. Sorry, I'm not just egg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that, doing the right thing. It's been a number of years ago, but this gal I snowballed by a bit of our neighborhood there. Mm. And this one gal had, had a little bit of a problem with this particular uh, neighbor, neighbor, Jerry, which she had probably a right to be talk with you. If you call me Jeff, I'll let you use my snowboard, but I don't want you to snowball Jerry's sidewalk. <laughs> okay. Oh, Jerry. And because you're a Christian, you're going to do it anyway, aren't you? Remember <laughs> 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 You know, yeah. yeah. She was a good Catholic, though. Yeah. Why, is there, why is there joy? Why is there joy in imitating Christ? Why is there true joy in imitating Christ as opposed to um, getting what I want, when I want, how I want? You know, what, what would lead Paul joyfully to be like, I can't deal with what's happening to this girl. I'm going to, you know, remove, I'm going to beg the Lord to remove this spirit of evil. Well, I think one thing is because Paul had been there himself, right? I mean, he was persecuting Christians. Okay. He knew. Yeah. He knew that, uh, that uh, you know, once free of that, 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 you know, I mean, Paul was convinced what he was doing was right. The time, so he'd been there where this girl's at. Yeah, yeah, I think that works. Yeah, it's like kind of like 
doing these deeds of mercy in a way, kind of like talked about sermon, sorry, sermon on the Mount a billion times. We talked about being salt and light. These are the kind of actions that are putting light into the world. These are the kind of actions that are showing people uh, how to get away from the oppression of sin, whether it's sin somebody else is putting on you or sin within. And that brings you joy. Of course it brings you joy to know that you're doing something that is the opposite of the evil, dark world that has hurt you so badly so many times. So I think that we could find a great joy in that and being like Christ in that way. Um, it's not just like... Uh, so going back to the music thing, it's not just like, oh, I don't want to lose anybody here. Um, so I won't. Um, it's not just, I want to imitate this rock star so that I could be like him because that's cool. It's, I want to imitate him because I want to make music like him because I've seen what his music can do. And I've seen, you know, let's say Bruce Springsteen. All the way that he speaks to the blue collar world about their difficulties and their struggles. Oh, I want to be like him because I want to do that. It's not, I want to be like him because he's got a cool handkerchief coming out of the back of his pocket, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's like, so, and I'm not saying that's what you were saying, Sean. I'm just taking it to the next spot. Like, I don't want to be like Christ just because he's cool. Like, I, I want to be like Christ because it is, the, <laughs> it is destroying the darkness of this world with love and goodness and deeds of mercy. So that's why there's joy there. And you know, I think Ed, because we are Christians, we have been oppressed. Mm-hmm. And we have, with the indwelling Holy Spirit, we, we've seen the difference. Yeah. And the joy of mercy, the joy of helping someone or, or being there is, is, is sharing that joy. Yeah. It's like what you were talking about. Like, I had a personal relationship with Christ, but didn't, or I knew he was the Son of God, but didn't care, didn't have that personal relationship. Mm-hmm. That's part of the personal relationship is accepting what he's given you and passing it on. Yeah. And that's joy. There's joy there. He promises there's joy. Well, A.K. this gal knew that Paul and them had to, knew that they were falling to Christ, right? That's so awesome. Yeah. Right? But, but, yet, but yet she rejected, you know, the demon rejected. So, I mean, it's not, mm. it's not hard for them to figure out who the real Christ is. It's, yeah. You know, when I talk to some people, you know, they all, you know, like, well, I believe in God. Well, Whoopie, whoopie. So, so does the demons, right? And they did. Yeah. They, they knew Jesus was. Yeah. Yeah, they even accept what's going to happen. Like with the pigs, like, have you come to judge us before the time, Jesus? Like, they even know, like, yeah. what you said you're going to do, are you going to do now? Hmm? Um, they're twerps. Sorry, I, I do not think highly of demons or Satan. I really hate them, truly. I believe that's where my hate is allowed to go. Uh, the Philippian jailer converted, verses 25 through 40. Here, I'll read this one. 25 through 40. About midnight, this is after they were flogged and beaten and in the stocks, which is awful. Feel free to look up what the stocks are like. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But we see here that they did not. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
what is going on? What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly. Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison? And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Oof, spicy. And the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Roman citizens, oh no! So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, and they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers... They encouraged them and departed. This is the planning of the church. This was it. They saw Lydia. They healed a slave girl. They were put in prison. The prisoners were like listening to them. And then when all the doors opened, the prisoners didn't leave. Weirdly enough, it's almost like they looked to Paul and Silas as leaders like, let's do what these guys do. Because I love the way these guys are. Um, so if, and then you got the jailer coming out. So that's what I want to ask here is, why is the jailer... Actually, we don't really have time. But the jailer, you see here that the jailer comes to them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Not because of words or because of deeds, but because of the example that they were of, or deeds of mercy, but the example that they were of Christ. Um, it's just like how Christ was when they were like, you did this. He's like, you've said so. That's fine. Like, the doors open, but they don't leave. They're like, no, God's put us here in prison. We're still, it's not like we're singing and we have hymns and stuff. And then when he lets us go, it's time to bolt. It's like, no, we're legitimately happy whether we're in prison or the doors have been opened and our shackles are off because we're going to obey God. We're, we're happy to obey the Lord. That's what we're happy to do. And they did that. And he was totally moved by it. And his whole family was saved. But this, basically, that's how the church is planted. Looking at the big picture, which we don't have a lot of time. Um, about 10 years after the events of Acts 16, this is about 10 years later, Paul wrote what we can see in Philippians. And this is what we're going to continue for quite a few weeks, about a few months. Um, Paul calls the Philippian church his joy and crown. He calls them his joy and crown in chapter 4, verse 1. If you want to go back to Philippians, uh, chapter 1, we'll be there for a sec. He calls them in the letter to unite around the gospel, again, and retain their joy because they were facing adversity from false teachers and disunity from within. So it's interesting, like in Acts 16, even the way that the church was brought together, the way the church was started, this is what they were facing later. They're facing a need for joy in the gospel because of adversity, which is how it started in the first place. So the story of Philippi has kind of stayed the same. And he can remind them of uh, the foundation it was built on in the first place. But in the book, they give these six challenges that they say that Philippians is going to talk about. We'll breeze through these. But so Philippians is going to give us six challenges. First, um, we must recognize that gospel advancement will cost us, but Jesus is worth it. Right. And that's kind of what we just talked about. 
like, why do I want to be like Christ? What's the point? It's like, what, why is there joy in that? It's like, because you have a personal relationship, uh, because you're giving what has been given to you, uh, because you're fighting the very darkness of this world. And I think if you do more studies of the Bible, you'll find, uh, you can probably write a very big list of why Jesus is worth it. Um, including, what is it, Revelation 4? Yeah, you can sit on that throne with me, that throne with all of the angels, the people, the elders bowing, the lightning, the sea of glass. Feel free to sit on that throne if you endure. What? What is that? Are you kidding me? The world does not offer that at all, especially not in eternal life. Uh, Second, we must fight for joy in Christ. I like this point they made. We must fight for joy in Christ. I like it because, as I've told you, I've faced a lot of people who said, I am not joyful. God is not living up to his promise of joy in my life. And I feel like he might not be real because he's not doing that. And uh, I feel like I witnessed, I don't mean to be hard on anybody, I feel like I witnessed a pulling back of those punches of somebody who was surrendering, throwing in the towel, and not fighting for joy in Christ. Uh, Psalm 102, sorry, 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Um, They gave an illustration of like a guy taking his, his lady out on Valentine's Day, and they're sitting there and they're having a great time. She's like, thank you so much. He's like, oh, you know, I have to, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the most honoring way. Um, and what they're getting at is, do I have to serve Jesus or do I get to serve Jesus? Um, is, this, is this punching in and punching out or is this something I get to do and I fight for it every single day? Um, the punching in and punching out, I think we can all agree, has slightly not that much joy in it. Um, I find that at work every day. But coming here is far different. Coming here is very joyful. I've come here to fight for what I believe in. Um, and I think the, the constant contrast between that that we have in our lives, I think that's a blessing from God. Um, fight for the joy that you have in Christ. And you can do that even while you're grieving, like we said before. Uh, Thirdly, he says, a challenge is we must maintain the unity of the spirit. Um, So I'll just ask, how can we maintain unity at Center Baptist? How How can we create unity? How can we create disunity? What does that kind of look like at Center Baptist? Moving forward. Witnessing, yeah. Kind of like what? Like what are some stuff from like the Sermon on the Mount that creates unity? Some of the basics, some of the foundation of being a Christian. You know, so one of them just being obedience, right? If we obey the Word of God, um, if any of us here are like secretly like disobeying it's going to cause rifts it's going to cause problems in the church that's what god says um even if we as humans are like i've got it contained it's fine (laughs) like it's like he's like no you don't and it's going to be a problem so get rid of it as quickly as possible repent go to your brothers for help don't be afraid of your brothers and sisters go to them for help and be like hey i've got a leak over here i'm sorry i screwed up like yeah yeah let's get this let's get this patched up with the gospel let's get this patched up with the bible um constantly protecting the walls of our 
kingdom. But yeah, like you said, forgiveness. Forgiveness is another one, right? If we don't forgive each other like the world does, it'll be broken apart pretty quickly. Um, encouragement, like he says to do in Hebrews, right? Come together, encouraging each other, lifting each other up, outdoing each other in what? Was it outdoing each other in like uh, good works or like the way that we talk to each other? Um, kindness. kindness, yeah. And reconciliation, showing reconciliation in this world. Um, that'll bring unity. Of course, of course it will. Like it sounds obvious, but it's like these are the things that he tells us to do because he knows that we will, don't want to do them. Because um, what we really want to do is we want to create disunity, which is the opposite. Uh, we don't pursue the gospel together. We don't pursue the gospel together. We pursue all of our own personal pursuits. And we assume that we're going to stick together as a group if we do that. <laughs> it's like maybe if you have that family trip. You're like, yeah, we're all excited to be in the family. It's going to be so cool. It's like tomorrow we're going to go into the city that we're visiting and see what it's like. It's like, what do you guys want to do? It's like, well, I just want to do my own thing. And so everybody goes and does that. And they just all split. And you're like, this was a really fun time with the family. Everybody just separated and went and did their own thing. Maybe we should have made a plan. Um, but we focus on personal pursuits, grudges, opinionated correction. That's one of my that I can't stand. Uh, creates tons of disunity. Here's my opinion, and you need to do it. Um, not the best Christian thing to do. Judge not, or you'll be judged. Uh, and exclusion by unforgiveness. Exclusion by, oh, that person's, uh, let's say somebody comes to our church who is LGBT. Um, let's just push them away because that's too much for me to handle. No, that's terrible. Um, God forgave us. We should forgive them. Teach them the truth. Who knows what could happen? Well, I mean, we know what could happen, and it probably will happen because the gospel is very powerful. Um, fourthly, he says we have to. We should become Macedonian givers. What he means by that is, in like First Corinthians or Second Corinthians eight through nine, Paul talks about the churches in Macedonia, which are like Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. And these are churches that aren't necessarily wealthy, but are continuously sacrificial and generous and cheerful and loyal. So we can, as we go forward looking at Philippians, this is a really good church to be like. Uh, fifthly, we need to learn what gospel partnership looks like. That's something that we'll figure out more as we go through, so I won't explain that. But we need to know what gospel partnership looks like, not just kind of like be in it and be like, cool, I'm doing what I can, but have an idea of the big picture of what's going on. And sixth, as a church, we must give the world a picture of the coming kingdom of God. Again, this is weirdly providentially working out very well that we're doing this after the Sermon on the Mount. Like, that is the picture we need to be giving people with our church and to be kind of like Philippi. Uh, the beautiful greeting in verses 1 and 2, the big thing to take away from that is how much grace there is. Uh, we see Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, and, the over, and with, uh, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We see grace in Paul, a person who was saved on the Damascus Road, out of nowhere, um, made blind, a guy who was persecuting, completely turned. Uh, we see it in Timothy, a guy who grew up learning the word of God from like his mother and his grandmother. Um, and then we see it, of course, servants of Christ. We see it in Christ, of course, the grace that he um, showed through all of his actions here. 
And then in the second line, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, we see the grace and what we just walked through in Acts 16, all of the grace that occurred in the development of the planting of Philippi, how God showed grace on Lydia, opened her heart, how Paul showed, or he showed grace through Paul to heal the slave girl. He showed grace to the Philippian jailer, um, and he showed grace to them to have them released because they're terrified that they're Roman citizens. And then you see here, with overseers and deacons, this church grew to have things that even we don't quite fully have yet. <laughs> we have one elder, we have a deacon, yeah, and we're very thankful for that. But overseers and deacons, wow, they, they really came somewhere. All of that comes with grace. Comes with the grace of them learning, the grace of them having the ability to oversee, the ability to figure out what they need to do to be deacons. And then the second, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In here we can see in this first verse, we can see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked through Paul, Timothy. It worked to make overseers. It worked to make deacons. In this second verse, we see God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole Trinity in these first two verses are being displayed, even just in their presentation of the beginning of the verse. Um, I, I, I think it was MacArthur who was talking about letters and how we have, this, uh, we have this way of doing letters where we're like, Dear so-and-so. Ba, 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 at the end, love, Chris. Um, and he's like, in these letters back in the day, they would just be like, they'd come straight out of the gate like, Chris, <laughs> servant of Christ, <laughs> listen up to my brothers who are servants in Christ in Lincoln. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. I love how even just the starting of the letter <laughs> is the opposite way that we write letters ourselves. I think it's funny. I don't know. Maybe we should start writing our letters differently. Maybe we'll see some difference. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Writing? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what can we look forward to reading and understanding Philippians? Um, we can have joy in Christ as we pursue the gospel. And we can unite as a church over the gospel. It's, oh, it's almost like the gospel is everything. Um, we can see how joy and gospel words and gospel deeds of mercy and gospel living being living examples can cause the gospel to grow in our church and our community, which only brings forward joy. Um, and we hope to see here next week, um, coming from, I think Mike will be teaching next week. He'll be talking about um, how we can know joy in prayer, how we can know joy in partnership, in anticipation. Ooh and in affection. So we can look forward to that next week. So please continue to be faithful in coming here. Thanks for coming. Um, I believe the book of Philippians, uh, God sovereignly having us decide to do this one, it's going to weave a lot more of Christ into our hearts and into this church, um, into our hearts, our souls, and our minds. And I think it's going to change us even more. And I'm very excited to see where that goes in the next few months. Keep your eyes open. That stuff is really important. Really seeing like what he's doing and like really remembering it. That's the stuff you want to remember and really, I'll, I'll try to keep my eyes open too. Mm -hmm.